Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, Then Sings My Soul, and Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. Recently, Rob began a video teaching series entitled The 50 Final Events in World History, the book of Revelation Demystified. You can use this self-paced video study for individual or group use. It includes downloadable visual aids for personal reference or for Bible teachers who want to teach this material to others. Visit robertjmorgan.com courses and use the coupon code podcast at checkout for a special listener's discount. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Those of you who have been following along with my life and ministry for the last year know that my wife, Katrina, passed away. It was almost a year ago, and it's been a difficult year, but there have been some things about it which have been good. Uh, one of the things is that I've been able to regain my exercise routine. I, For many, many years, I uh, um, worked out at the gym, and, and I was a, a great runner, uh, for a long time and would run about three miles a day. And then when Katrina got so disabled uh, uh, that she required more help, then I just lost the ability to work out and to run and to get good exercise, plus my knees started getting older. And so for several years now, I haven't been able to get my routines going again, and I've uh, tried again and again and have failed to establish a regular exercise pattern. And for the past year, I've been trying. And I would try something and it wouldn't work. And I'd try something else and the schedule wouldn't work or I didn't have the determination. But I haven't given up on it. And now I can tell you that I'm doing much better. I'm having, uh, uh, I'm in the best shape that I've been in for a long time because I have reestablished through perseverance and by God's grace an exercise routine. Well, I'm telling you that because we have to have the right habits, uh, and it takes a lot in life to establish the right habits. Uh, we need regular habits in our own lives that will generate a healthy, good, positive outcome with the way that we live, both in body and in mind, and also in soul and in spirit. And in the same way, our churches need to have the healthiest, most biblical habits they can if they are to remain strong and healthy in days like this. Well, in the book of Acts, after we have the introductory chapter 1 and the day of Pentecost in chapter 2, we come to the last part of chapter 2, and the writer here, Luke, gives us 10 habits of healthy churches. And I just want to read this for you, and then we'll go back and look at them together. But in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 42, it says, they, referring to the 120 disciples, along with now the 3,000 who had been converted and baptized on the day of Pentecost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Each day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this is one of Luke's summary paragraphs in which he writes just a summary statement about what is going on in the church in general to transition to the next specific event that he's going to describe. But this summary paragraph is one of the richest of all of them because he gives us these 10 patterns. He says, first of all, these new believers in this new church devoted itself to the apostles' teaching. Now, the word devoted is a very strong word. It's stronger than the word dedicated. You can be dedicated to something and not be devoted to it. We can be dedicated, say, to keeping our marriage together, but not necessarily devoted to our wife emotionally. The word devoted implies not only dedication, but real emotional zealous commitment. So here these people devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. So the apostles knew more at this point than the other disciples, and certainly more than the 3,000 who were being saved. And so these apostles taught, and I think very much of what they taught was what Jesus told them during the 40 days that enabled them to make sense of everything that had happened during Passion Week. I think Jesus really did a lot more teaching than is generally assumed during the 40 days between the resurrection and his ascension. I think he took them through the Old Testament, and he showed them specifically. Here is what was predicted. Here is what happened. Here is the way the kingdom works. Here is why I came. Here is why I died. Here is why I'm going to come again. Here is the way it's all going to work. Here is the kind of directions you'll need as you go into all of the world. And so these apostles gave these teachings and explained all of this to the new believers. Now, there is a great deal the apostles did not yet know. For example, they didn't know all about the details of the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. They could explain it generally, but it was the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans who really came and specifically articulated that doctrine. They didn't know everything about the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, but later John would give us that in the book of Revelation. But progressively, they knew what they knew, and they taught the people systematically. And any good church has good quality, systematic, linear teaching. The one quality in a church that is absolutely necessary is the expositional, linear teaching of Scripture. I believe that you ought to preach through books and teach through books of the Bible, because that's the way God gave the Bible. Now, I know that that isn't quite as attractive today in a marketing way for preachers. They feel like they have to have a topic to preach about. But every one of the books of the Bible deals with a certain topic. No two books of the Bible are alike. Uh, The book of Acts, for example, talks about the unstoppable nature of the church. And so if you take the contents of a book in the Bible and you find the outline that represents God's logic that he has built into the text, and you begin to preach on that paragraph by paragraph or section by section, you can certainly market that uh, topically, but the sermons will be an expositional explanation of the unfolding of God's Word, which gives light. 
So this is the way that I think we should preach. This is also the way that I think we should study and my own personal daily Bible study. Uh, the reason why right now I'm going through the book of Acts is because I've been going through the book of Acts in my devotions every morning and using a wide margin Bible and a pencil and drawing out these things and just enriching myself with them. So we've got to be devoted to the systematic, wise, rightly dividing of Scripture because that is the foundation for the strength and maturity of the entirety of the church. The second thing they devoted themselves to was to fellowship. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. In other words, they wanted to get together. They wanted to share with one another and fall in love with one another and get to know one another and develop the relationships that would be meaningful to them now as brothers and sisters in Christ in the middle of a hostile city. And we need that just as much as they do. This is one of the things that COVID has tried to rob the church of, is our being together and our fellowshipping and our gathering together. But it's so very important. And what a church does when it meets together and the way that we encourage one another is critical. I met recently with the president of a large multinational ministry. And he said that recently in their staff meeting, they went around and they said, you know, we don't really know each other as well as we should. Let's, t tell, let's everyone tell something about their childhood. And my friend said he was amazed at how everyone around that table had had some great difficult challenges and hurts and abuses in their childhood, but everyone got around to saying, but there was a church, but there was a church. And each one of these people had been rescued um, from what otherwise would have been a very difficult childhood by the presence of people who loved them in a church, in a local church, the fellowship of the church. And that's so very important. There's an old hymn that says, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred souls is like to that above. In other words, our relationship with one another down here is so extraordinary that the only thing on earth that can, can be compared with is the kind of relationships that characterize heaven itself. So, first of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and then to fellowship, and thirdly, to the breaking of bread. They enjoyed eating together and fellowshipping together. And most commentators say that this includes the observance of the Lord's Supper, that it's just something that they did whenever they ate together. They would take a moment and break the bread and drink the cup and remind themselves of what Jesus had done for them. There was maybe a more often observing of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament than some churches observe it today. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, the Lord Jesus was gone to heaven. He had left them, but they realized they could still talk to him, and they could still talk to God through the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And they had a great many challenges, and they needed the Lord Jesus now just as much as when he was in person on the earth. And so they would get together individually, but certainly together, and they would pray about things. And much of what happened in the book of Acts is the result of the answer to prayer. 
Sometime, when you have 45 minutes, just read through the book of Acts in one sitting and mark in the margin every time that Christians or churches gather together for prayer and notice what comes from it and the power that exudes from it and the results that proceed from it. So a healthy church is characterized by systematic teaching, good fellowship with one another, the frequent observance of the Lord's Supper, and to the practice of praying together. Now, the next thing, number five, is they were filled with awe. It says in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, this was still in the glow of Pentecost and in the flushing procession of our Lord Jesus's ministry. And when you study the subject of miracles in the Bible, you find that miracles didn't often occur, but they did occur in clustered groups. For example, there is a cluster of miracles around the time of Moses. There is a cluster of miracles in the days of Elijah and Elisha. And there was a clustering of miracles around the ministry of Christ and the early ministry of the apostles. So here in the early pages of the book of Acts, and to some extent throughout most of the book of Acts, there are miracles. They begin to wane off as the book of Acts proceeds, but there was a sense of awe. These people were full of, they were just, there was a euphoria that I want to talk about next time that just absolutely filled them. And I think that as believers, we need a sense of wonder. Gypsy Smith, the old evangelist who was converted out of a gypsy tent, used to say that the secret to his Christian life, even as an old man, was that he had never lost the wonder. And I think that a lot of us sometimes lose the awe and the wonder of what it means that we have a God who made the universe. He made everything around us so spectacular. He genuinely loves us. He fills our lives with good things. He is omnipotent and immortal. He is powerful and all-knowing. He is our eternal redeemer. He has heaven for us, and he's put the canopy of the blue sky above us and the flooring of the green grass beneath us, and we should just go through life with a sense of awe, never losing the wonder. Well, that characterized the early church. They were, number one, devoted to the apostles' teaching, number two, devoted to fellowship, number three, devoted to the Lord's Supper, number four, devoted to prayer, and number five, they had a sense of awe. Now, the sixth thing is in verse 45. They were generous. It says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And it goes on to talk later about how they liquidated their assets and their possessions, and they gave it all away. Now, we have to be very careful here because that isn't necessarily what God wants us all to do in the most literal sense. Later, this Judean church was poverty-stricken, and Paul had to raise money from across Macedonia to, uh, to feed them. Uh, but here in the first uh, excitement, enthusiasm, wave, tsunami of Pentecost, they were so uh, fulfilled with the Holy Spirit that they just, uh, and maybe so anticipating the Lord coming again, that they sold everything they had and gave it away to feed the poor. Now, there is nothing in the Bible that tells us to do that to that extent. But on the other hand, the Bible does tell us to be generous. 
And what I think we can learn from this is that when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, then suddenly there is a generosity in your heart and you want to help others. You want to give uh, money and, and possessions and food to ministries and to those who minister to others and to your local church, and you become generous. I've found even in recent months that one of the joys of earning money is that you can give more away. You can support the Lord's work. There are certain ministries that I feel, wow, this ministry needs tens of millions of dollars, and I don't have that kind of money to give to it, but, but I can give this and I can give that, and I just want to advance the kingdom of the Lord. What we accumulate here is all going to turn to dust sooner or later, but what we do for the Lord is storing up wealth for ourselves in heaven. And in the same way, a church ought to be generous. When I came to the Donaldson Fellowship, most of our giving was um, by designated giving that we would encourage people to, uh, to do to allocate a portion of their, their gift above and beyond their tithe to some missionary or some cause. But I wanted us as a church to give. And I, finally, we worked our way up to 10% so that 10% of every penny that came into our general fund went out in ministry. On one occasion, I suggested to our deacons that we increase that to 15%, and I didn't get a great deal of traction and never persisted with it, but if I had it to do over again, I think that I would do what Shadow Mountain Church does in San Diego. They give 20% of every dollar that comes into their general fund to outside ministries that supports the worldwide global mission of the church. So we just need to think again about our income and our outflow and reflect here the generosity that, was, uh, that characterized the early church. Now, the seventh thing is that these people met regularly. Look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So you had thousands of people. Of course, they didn't have any church buildings, but they did have the temple courts. And this is a very huge area. If you go to Jerusalem now and you happen to be there on the right day, you might be able to get up on the temple mount and you'll see the acreage involved here. The temple is no longer there, but you can see how big this Acropolis was. It had been enlarged by Herod the Great. And uh, along the southern side was a great colonnade that would accommodate multitudes of people under a roof. It was called Solomon's Colonnade. So these people began meeting regularly for worship and prayer and teaching. And later, they came to meet regularly in a way that replicated what, as Jews, they had done with their synagogue meetings on the Sabbath day. You know, Jesus and Paul were very faithful about going to the synagogue service every week. And what did the Jews do when they went to the synagogue? They would praise the Lord and sing. They would read and study his word, and they would pray. So from the very beginning, the early Christians got together in the temple courts and sometimes in their homes. They would assemble together, and eventually they just took their synagogue patterns and made it into their regular church services involving worship and singing, prayer, and the preaching and teaching of God's word. And they were faithful to this. And it's very important for us to be faithful. Again, this is where COVID has hurt the church so very much. 
And even today, there are governments and states who are forbidding Christians from doing here what we have been doing for 2,000 years. And I believe some pushback is appropriate. Churches meet together. The people come together, meeting and worshiping. And it continues to say again, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So that brings us to the eighth element. They had hospitality. They welcomed one another into their homes. They were accustomed to going to people's homes and meeting there. And we know of one particular wealthy lady, the mother of John Mark, apparently the sister of Barnabas, who opened her home. It was maybe in her upper room that the day of Pentecost came. But hospitality. I've got a home here that I love to have people into, and I don't have people in as much as I should. I've got a couple of grandchildren who uh, like to leave their shoes at the foot of the stairs, and I've just gotten so that I take their shoes and throw them up the stairs and let them find them where they will, because I want people to come into my house, and I want it to be appropriate for visitors and to be able to sit down and talk with people and maybe feed them, maybe have Bible study get together, maybe worship and fellowship with them. So hospitality is the eighth element here. And the ninth is worship. It says in verse 7, they were praising God. And I think that in our worship, music is very, very important. And in our music, it's very important for us to sing new, fresh songs as well as the great hymns of the faith. I woke up this morning and Charles Wesley's song, And Can It Be That I Should Gain an Interest in My Savior's Blood, was going through my mind. And I think in our worshiping, we need to come together. And there ought to be enough bandwidth in worship leaders across America so that the newer people can sing the older hymns, the older people can sing the newer songs, and we can join our generations and our voices together, praising God. And the fourth thing, or the tenth thing, rather, the final thing, is that we project positive evangelism to the world, and we see people coming to Christ. It says, and enjoying favor with all of the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, a church that is devoted to good Bible teaching and is devoted to fellowship and to the observance of the Lord's Supper and to prayer, where there is a sense of awe and there is a generous spirit and they are meeting together regularly and there is hospitality and true worship and singing is occurring out of sincere hearts intergenerationally. That kind of church is going to enjoy favor in its community, and the Lord will add to their number those who are being saved. This is one of the most beautiful summarizing pictures of the church that I know of in all of the Bible. These are the ten habits of a healthy church. So what can you do and what can I do to encourage our local church in these habits? Well, one of the things, of course, is to get right back to church as soon as you feel you safely can and to support the church and to say a good word to those who are leaders and to do your part to be a healthy Christian, 
because healthy churches are made up of healthy Christians, and healthy Christians are those who live in the glow of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. They are unstoppable. Well, next week I want to deal with the entirety of chapter 3 with one podcast, so if you want to read ahead, please do that. And check out my one-minute sermons on social media, along with the other resources we have at my website, robertjmorgan.com. Also, check out my book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America. This podcast is produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. It is edited by Elijah Rowe. Music is by Jordan Davis. This is Robert Morgan speaking, and may the Lord bless you and be with you until we meet again.